and welcome to Pop Tarts. <laughs> I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. We're pop culture junkies. We love talking to each other about pop culture. We love talking to you about pop culture. And today, we are going to be talking about one of our very favorite documentaries of the year, Bombshell, The Hedy Lamar Story. Uh, it's about 30s and 40s screen goddess, an unrecognized genius inventor, Hedy Lamar. And joining us today to talk all about this epic tale of science and sexism is the film's writer, director, Alex Dean. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your show. This is very exciting. Like I said, we both saw the movie. We both loved it. We were so excited to see it because, as I was telling you earlier, Bust Magazine did a big feature story all about the unheralded scientific prowess of Hedy Lamarr back in 2010. That's pretty badass. Well done, Bust. (laughs) Thanks. And so when we saw that this documentary was coming out, we knew we had to see it. We were so excited. I think my teeth are going to fall out. I've been clenching them so hard. Bam! Oprah always preaching. Yes, Tommy Wiseau, I've heard of penne pasta. Mahu Mahanahe. What is it about our society that we get so angry at beautiful people when they age? You've seen some things that a woman ain't supposed to see. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with Hedy Lamarr, can you give an overview of her career both as a Hollywood starlet and as an inventor? Yes. So imagine Angelina Jolie face on cover of every single magazine at the height of her career, coming up with something revolutionary in the tech world in Silicon Valley. This is the same thing. Hedy Lamarr was the Angelina Jolie of the 1940s. Catwoman is based on her. She has this huge impact on the look of the day because she is so beautiful. And that's all anybody pays any attention to. She's starring with Clark Gable, Spencer Tracy, Jimmy Stewart. Nobody thinks she's a great star, but they think she has that face, that face. There are songs written about her. At night, however, she is inventing. And she's inventing with Howard Hughes. And she's inventing with a concert pianist called George Antile. And she's having this double secret existence. And during that secret existence, she invents something that lands in our cell phones, our Wi-Fi, and our GPS today. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) And that thing is called frequency hopping. Are you able to, to sort of generally speaking, explain frequency hopping? Now, after much, much work, (laughs) I am. Frequency hopping is about jamming. It's about the idea that your signal, if you're sending a radio signal out into the universe, can be jammed or stopped or listened to. And it's the hacking. It's the problem we have with our signals today. How do you avoid some malevolent force coming in and interfering with your radio signals? And Hetty's great big idea was, well, just hop around on the frequencies. Don't stay on the same signal. In her case, 88 different frequencies because she was using a player piano to come up with the invention and a piano has 88 keys. So if you hop from frequency to frequency and a jammer comes to get you, he zaps only that one frequency that you're on for a split second and doesn't stop your communications. She was doing this for submarines? Hetty was doing this for torpedoes. They were being launched by ships. 
that the ships were trying to sink submarines. They were trying to sink the Nazi wolf packs, which were those deadly U-boats that the Nazis used to, to form a chokehold on England. And now our telecommunications use the same idea of hopping frequencies so people can't listen in on us now? That's right. It actually has a double purpose now. It's for security, but it's also, if you imagine that we're on this information superhighway, if we were trying to communicate on a single lane, we'd also end up in a huge traffic jam. Mm-hmm. So now it's about spreading the lanes. The more lanes you have, the faster the cars moving on them can travel. And so a big part of the documentary and a big part of the Hedy Lamar story is that she was this genius who came up with this idea that revolutionized the world, but her idea essentially was stolen and she wasn't given credit for her work. Yeah. Um, there's, so, I feel like there are so many stories, not just in American history, but just in the history of the world of women coming up with things and people co-opting their ideas. What, what was it about this story, about this woman and this invention that made you want to devote um, so much time and energy to creating a big screen documentary about her? Why this story? Listen, this was a woman who was playing with a full deck of cards. If Hedy Lamar couldn't win the game, I'm not sure any of us can. (laughs) She was the most beautiful. She was the most brilliant. And she was brave. She had this bravery that takes your breath away. She escaped the Nazis in the middle of the night. She figured out that if she wasn't going to get a fair deal deal in Hollywood, she could start her own movie productions. And this was a time when men and women were not doing that. And when she couldn't get the plastic surgery she wanted, she invented some. I loved that part of the in the movie where they were talking about how she got so sucked into the plastic surgery. It was it was tragic at the, at the end because she didn't leave her house. That part broke my heart. But mm-hmm. that she wanted her face to look a certain way, and she was like, "Do it like this. Do it this way." That's right. She invented the way of preserving her youth. It was her way of trying to keep her power. And so that's why I say if she couldn't figure it out, it really makes you question what kind of a chance the rest of us have. Do you think that she was unsuccessful in getting the recognition and quite frankly, the money that she deserved Mm -hmm. um, because she was so incredibly beautiful? Do you think it was because she was a woman? Is there anything that she could have done differently or was it just like, the sexism of the society was too much. I actually don't think it was just sexism. It was anybody who didn't fit the mold of inventor. So even George, her co-inventor, who's this pianist, he left school at 15. He also wasn't taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I see. It was the two of them. It was like a movie star and a pianist came up with this brilliant idea, you know, pull the other one. I, I think it's sort of a gimmick, you know, maybe it's a, a PR stunt to get people to invent things and and submit them to the National Inventors Council. I think that's how people were thinking in the Navy. Let's throw it in a cabinet. Maybe we'll find some use for it at some point. And then I think nobody tracked it. The thing just kind of disappeared and somebody pulled it out of that cabinet in the 60s and gave it to a radio engineer who was trying to create a secret communication system. Said, try this. And I think at that point, Hedvig Kiesler Maria Markey did not sound like Hedy Lamar, and that's the name on the patent. They, ah. they, according to the, one of the engineers who used it, he thought that was a man in the Navy. He thought it was some sort of freelance engineer. Oh, and then he actually looked at it. And then he looked at it seriously. Was it so heartbreaking? Was it difficult getting access to? You got a lot of Hedy Lamar audio and video, and as Callie mentioned earlier, and as you say in your film. 
she was a recluse for the end of her life. Mm. How did you get people to open up to you, not only to give them interviews themselves, but to let you have video of her and audio of her Mm. that hadn't been released before? It was incredibly difficult. This was a woman who did not want to tell her story. And that was the challenge for me when I began it. And as an investigative journalist, I was like, yeah, good challenge, good challenge. I I liked it, you know. This is a woman who was secretive about her life, so it had to still be unlocked to a certain level. And, uh, you know, what I did was went over her son first. You know, I spent a lot of time with her son, who became a very good friend. And we sat in his, among his boxes of archive and dug and dug and had fun finding out things that he never knew existed in his own archives, translating the German letters for the first time, finding out what was in the birth certificates and death certificates, finding out the year his grandmother converted from Judaism to Catholicism and then pretended she was Catholic all along, all of this stuff we were unlocking in his own archive. And then as that treasure hunt became more and more fun, you know, I started to ask him, do you think your sister would talk to me? And, you know, at that time, a year in, his sister was not interested in talking because she had felt humiliated by the press so many times in the past. And it took, you know, her brother saying, look, Alex is serious. This is this is the kind of stuff we've been finding. Don't you want to talk to her for her to say, OK, you know, I'll spend 20 minutes with her doing an interview. And then we really hit it off and we grew a friendship and we started having a book club via text Oh, cute! from uh, Seattle to New York. And uh, we became very close. And then she became a major contributor to the documentary as well. And it kind of expanded from there. But the tapes, the tapes of Hetty speaking, they didn't exist as far as I knew when I started the doc. Wow. So that must have been such a jackpot for you to find. Were you so excited? That was one of the most mind blowing events of my life. I still feel an almost uh, supernatural awe. <laughs> that those came about. She comes through so loud and clear in them. Like not, she's not just, ans- she's being interviewed in those tapes that you feature. Yes. But there's so much personality yes. in them. It's how you get to know her. As soon as you hear those tapes, you're like, oh, she's funny. Oh, she's she's kind of weird. She's quick. She's quirky. Yeah. Yeah, I love the weird. voicemail at the end. Yeah, the voicemail. That was so cute. That Anthony had, yeah. It was actually two voicemails because she kept calling and leaving this poem on their voicemails. So we were able to cut them together. Oh, that's such a mom thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) And were you able to watch the completed film with her children? Were you able to see their reactions? And what were they? I wasn't able to until Tribeca because I have a rule um, coming from my investigative journalism days that I don't let anybody who's in the film watch the film until it's complete. Because otherwise, you know, they would... Get you know, maybe there. out of vanity or something, want a shot removed that, that really needs to be there or something like that. You try and just have people radically accept that they can trust you. And yeah. it's a huge responsibility, right? It's a terrifying responsibility. I told Dee Dee, Hetty's daughter, every shot in the film before she got on a plane to New York to the Tribeca Film Festival. So I verbally told her everything that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And once she heard that, she said, okay, I think I can come. I think I can do this. <laughs> and she sat on one side of me and Anthony sat on the other. And I was gripping their hands as the curtain came up at Tribeca. And we just watched it through. And Anthony had this cane in his hand because he has a limp. And he was smacking me on the leg with his cane <laughs> the entire time. And I was like, is this good or bad? I'm going to have so many bruises. Oh my God. And then, and then we were, we, the, you know, the, the movie ended and it was... Uh, surreal. It was a standing ovation. They were standing, they were weeping and they had their children with them and their children were holding each other. And it felt like, oh, something has broken through here. Something has changed how these people feel about their relative. And afterwards we all went out and they started saying, 
yeah, we feel like she was resurrected, that she was resurrected as a whole person. And we didn't understand these fragments of her that we were left with as an old woman until we saw it all reassembled this way. And so now they take the film out. They take it on the road. They present it as their own, as this is my grandmother, this is my mother. Oh, that's so cute. It's great. And moving. moving. Yeah. Very moving. Yeah. Um, The woman that you profiled, the woman that you created, this this Hedy Lamar that I didn't know in this three-dimensional way until your film, she seemed really vastly ahead of her time, yeah. just in a lot of yeah. ways. And part of me wished that she could have been a scientist now mm. instead of during World War II, but I also wondered if it would have been any better for her. Like, we're just in this real Me Too moment. Mm. Watching this movie made me think about all the women who didn't follow through with their science and technology or any sort of vision or goal because mm. they were driven out by men yeah. who totally discounted them. Do you think she would have been able to realize her dreams if she was a young woman trying to be a scientist now? Or is this is it the same now than it was for her then? I hate to tell you, I don't think it would be any better. Look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, we had 30%. We're coming close to 30% of people working in STEM were women. Now we're moving down towards the 20s, 20%. Why? There's this huge push to get women into STEM. The only explanation that I can see is that it's really hard for a lot of silent way, you know, reasons that nobody wants to address yet. I mean, I talked to Lamore Freed of Adafruit about this because uh, she's this incredible badass engineer that... um, She's been in Bust Magazine. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Many times. <laughs> She's been on the cover of Wired. You know, she is just a, a hero for anyone who cares about women in, in science. Mm-hmm. And she was saying to me that the media covers her in such a weird way that she's basically had to create her own media, with the, with the exception of Bust, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. She's She feels like she's dealt with differently than all the other engineers yeah. because she's a woman and she feels like she has these huge unseen forces she has to to battle. And that's why she thinks there's so few women like her. And I had done this series for two years for Bloomberg Television in, you know, really, really investigating who the inventors are that shape our world. And I knew Lamore from that. I knew Jay McGonigal. I knew all of these heroines of the STEM movement. And they all said the same thing. It's like, you know, a very lethal, difficult thing that nobody seems to have come before us. That that when people close their eyes and they think inventor, they don't think of us or how we look or sound. Mm-hmm. And that is a really huge obstacle to overcome because when you go with your money out, your hand out looking for money in Silicon Valley or whatever, people are not as likely to take you seriously. Yeah. On top of that, she wasn't. She didn't just look like a woman. Hedy Lamar looked like the most beautiful woman in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like I from come from a Jewish family and my dad as a Jewish dad is like, there is no more beautiful woman in the world than uh-huh. Hedy Lamar. <laughs> yeah. She's like his ultimate Jewish sex symbol of all time. And she's she's Gal Gadot on fire, you know? Yeah, she's really and if you've if you've never seen Hedy Lamar, just Google her and you'll see what we're talking about. Yeah. And I was so glad actually that I saw this movie on the big screen so I could see her just sort of luminous mm. in black and white on, mm. on a big movie screen. It just sort of mm. takes your breath away. Mm. She was like this beautiful, shiny, silvery moon. 
And it is, you know, it is so powerful looking at her that you kind of get why her looks eclipsed everything else, you know, because your mind wanders while you're watching her. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I felt like I had to keep complicating her looks every time I put them up there or everybody in the cinema would end up just kind of like treating her like this glorious object. Gazing at her perfect mouth. Gazing at her perfect <laughs> mouth from the beginning. So that's why we start with this this quote where she says anyone who look glamorous, all they have to do is stand still and look stupid. Yeah, I love that quote. But I was really upset at the end. Towards the end of the film, there's a ceremony where she's finally being recognized for her scientific accomplishments. And she's still alive. This yeah. wasn't posthumous. And she wouldn't go. She sent her son to to accept the award. And was it because she didn't want people to see her as an elderly person? I can only assume that, like, that was the reason for her being a recluse. Yeah. Is that the, the sense that you got? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't even reveal how terrible people became about her looks. But even when she didn't, her plastic surgery wasn't really botched yet. When it, she still looked in my mind, very, very beautiful. She was being called a double-headed goat and all sorts of horrible, atrocious things in in the tabloids. And every time she left her house, she would be photographed and more of this vitriol would be spewed all over her. And so you have to really ask yourself, you know, what is it about our society that we get so angry at beautiful people when they age? Yeah, totally. And and why do we drive them into reclusion? Like, what, what what is that? I also feel like she wasn't even respected as an actor. They just were trying to give her fluff pieces the whole time. They wouldn't give her like the big juicy roles. Yeah. They were just like, you're you're the hot girl. That's right. That's that was right. also like, so even in her career that people, that she could actually have a career in, they were still judgmental. Yeah. And still wouldn't be like, oh, you can play a smart person. Yeah. Yeah, the, in- the interesting thing is when she starts to produce her own roles, she plays this woman who is convinced that beauty might be making her evil. Uh, and that's interesting and in that yeah. you don't ever see in the movies. And Janine Basinger still still teaches that film because it's so unusual. It actually, her predicament made me think of an interview that we did um, a little over a year ago with Rose McGowan. Mm. Rose McGowan was on the cover of Bust um, December, January 2017 yeah and she was talking about these big ideas and creative visions and things uh that she would have throughout her career and that people didn't take her seriously because she was too beautiful Mm. and um part of me you know the part of me who's an editor who's never had that problem Mm. like my first instinct was to roll my eyes at someone saying like you don't understand what it's like not to be taken seriously because you're too beautiful and I was like oh boohoo but (laughs) but I I really like when I saw that played out so extremely in the Hedy Lamarr movie I really it took me back to when I first read that interview that it was I was actually reading I think the transcript or the first draft of that interview with Rose McGowan. And I was like, because she's really a very smart woman. Mm. She has a lot going on. She's working on a lot of, a lot of cylinders are moving at the same time with Rose McGowan. And Uh I really can imagine how incredibly frustrating it must be to have someone sort of stare at your face and watch your lips move and not listen to what you're saying. And how the, the buildup of that year after year for a lifetime can really just crush your spirit 
Yeah. And I, I, so, I, was, I was thinking that today with Salma Hayek reading that incredible yes. oh, yeah, piece. Yeah, that interview was. Oh, oh, I've been posting about it all over social media. I mean, what I posted was that I think my teeth are going to fall out. I've been clenching them so hard <laughs> <laughs> reading that piece because there's something about it made me like broke something in me. And it was like, she's talking about trying to make the film of her life, this gorgeous film, Frida, that could not have been more moving. And Harvey Weinstein is just shitting all over it. Like, this is terrible. Unless you get naked and you have simulated sex with a woman, you're never going to save this film. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to shut it down. She's making this gorgeous art, but he's just looking at her like this pretty object that doesn't understand that the only thing she has to do to make her film valuable is glitter, glitter, glitter. And she's just trying to break out of that and say something from her heart. Yeah. And this battle she's having is making her vomit on set. It's so exhausting and awful. Yeah. And you're reading this just shaking just going how how can it be this difficult in this day and age for a female director and especially in her case one that is so alluring and sexy you know that has become a curse on her and that is what we're I think starting to talk about a little bit with the Me Too movement and you know the incredible coincidence of that and this film coming out has been amazing because it's unleashed this kind of torrent of discussion that I think is so important to and question. Fury. <laughs> fury. It's hard to watch the movie and you know, there's something really heartbreaking about it. You feel like, wow, she was a genius and it's exciting to learn more about this unheralded genius. But there's a lot of residual anger that I'm still yeah. feeling after mm. watching your documentary. Yeah. Yeah. How did how did she have such a hard time when she was giving so much to the world? Why wasn't she ever thanked properly for that. Yeah. Um, shortly before we did this interview with you now, the Golden Globe nominations were announced and all of us at Bust were pissed. <laughs> no women were included in the director category. Yeah. And besides us being pissed on your behalf, mm. we also expected to see Greta Gerwig for mm. Lady Bird or Dee Reese for Mudbound or Valerie mm. Ferris for Battle of the Sexes or Patty Jenkins for Wonder Woman, mm. Amanda Lippitz for Step. Like, what is it like to be making movies right now in an industry where it's so hard for women to break through, even though they're doing amazing work that not only is being critically applauded, but is making money? It's like this. <laughs> it's like, it's like, what now? I mean, Amanda Lippitz is Step has made over a million dollars. It like bursts onto the scene at Sundance. It makes everybody who watches it weep and laugh and weep again. Um, it's not even shortlisted for an Oscar. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what's going on. It's what like can we're we still, do? We're still only taking some token women and holding them up. But there's now a whole fleet of incredible women doing incredible things. 30% of the festivals I'm at are now female directors. Why is that not filtering through? Yeah. Is it the fact that it's the Hollywood foreign press? Like, that we're seeing what's being shortlisted for Oscars now. Like, what is it that we have to do? Like, who do we have to talk to? Right. Who do we have to pick it in front of? Who do we have to tweet at? What is going to make this shift happen? Nobody better say you have to get naked with Harvey Weinstein because that shit, it ain't happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they may have said that last year, but not, <laughs> not this year. This no, year. this year they're cowed. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We have to march or something. We have to march on the Hollywood sound stages. I think so. I think so. So this film, Bombshell, as we're speaking now, it's in the theaters. Yeah. 
And moving forward, is it going to be on streaming platforms? Is it going to be um, rentable? How can people moving forward see it if they miss it in the theaters? Well, it's in the theaters for a while. So first awesome. thing to know is it's just started in New York and L.A. It's continuing in both places. It's not even going to be in San Francisco till March because we couldn't oh, get wow. the theaters we wanted there. So it's going to be opening across the country in landmark theaters January through March. Awesome. Uh, so you got a lot of time to see this film in theaters. And after that, it will be on television. It will be streaming. But I, I'm going to say as the director... I really think it's better on the big screen. So I if you can get out there to see it, gorgeous. like go out and see it in the theaters. Yeah. And before we let you go, a question that we ask everyone is what you watching? And when I say what you watching, we are very broad in that question. We are talking about TV, movies, books, podcasts, scripts, <laughs> and any kind of media that you're taking in. Uh, by listening or watching or reading, we would like to know what you're up to. I, I'm a big reader, actually, and I'm reading all about the American West right now. I'm reading all the old histories on it, and I am astounded all over again at how little we really know about how our country was founded. Like, who knows about how the pioneers in Alaska created Alaska? Yeah. yeah. In the 1850s, yeah. for instance, Alaska was Russian, and American pioneers went and like confronted the Russians in Alaska. And there were like Greek priests who played a part in it. It's wow. completely a crazy pioneer story. Yeah. I know nothing about this. It's an amazing place to start researching. I encourage people to go and have a look at it. That's what I'm thinking about. Awesome. And if people want to follow you and your career and your work, where are you on the socials? I am Alexandra Hajjajdeen. That's how you find me. You have to know the middle name, the secret middle name. It's AJ. <laughs> it's H A G G I A G. And then you can find me everywhere on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, also, Bombshell the Movie on Facebook. There's an easy way, and I actually respond to all the messages on that Facebook page, too. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you again so much for coming. We loved your film. It was We're beautiful. so happy you was, made it. Thank you. Thank you. I was you on an emotional journey. Oh, I love you guys for saying that. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, when we come back, I am going to ask Callie, and Callie's going to ask me, what, what you're watching? I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel, a podcast that finds the drama and what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay, I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And... I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it. And he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like, 
And I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but like I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I real quizzically and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what? What? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. And we're back. Callie. Hello. I want to know what it is that you are watching. Please tell it to me. Well... I wanted to discuss the Golden Globes with you. Come on, son. I want to put some bets on this All right, shit I'm, show. I'm ready. <laughs> so for the, the best music or comedy, I'm going with Get Out on the yeah. overall. But then I think Franco should win for The Disaster Artist. For those that don't know, The Disaster Artist is a movie based on a book, based on the making of one of my favorite movies of all time, The Room. It's also a terrible movie. But it's an amazing story. This town, Greg. They don't want me. Wish we could just make our own movie. That great idea. Uh, and, and Franco plays this character, Tommy Wiseau, who I interviewed years ago. It was probably like over a decade ago. You interviewed Tommy Wiseau for Bust, who was the writer, director, producer, star of The Room. Yes. And it was one of the craziest interviews I've ever had. He's notorious for not... Saying where he's from, he pretends that he's from New Orleans, but nobody believes. He's from Transylvania. (laughs) Nobody believes he's from New Orleans. And I was trying to figure out where he was from, you know, this story. And I asked him what his favorite food was to try to see if that would give me any clues. Mm -hmm. And his favorite food, this was the quote, penne pasta. You ever heard of it? Yes, Tommy Wiseau, I've heard of penne pasta. His favorite food is a shape of pasta. There's not even a sauce. That's something that a vampire would say. Yeah. And so, like, I'm, I'm obsessed with Tommy. I have the behind-the-scenes movie. I have his documentary on homeless people in America. <laughs> um, I've seen when he was on, what was that crazy psychedelic show where he played a pig man that was batshit? I've seen everything that this man does. And James Franco is so good at, at playing Wizzo. He gets, the, like, nuances so good. At the end of the movie, they showed side-by-side clips from the room, the actual clips from the actual movie, and then James Franco's recreations of those scenes from the room, and they're eerily similar. It was really like, whoa, dude. Yeah, it was sort of like when you're watching the end of I, Tanya and they did the splits. Yes. And you're like, whoa, so spot on. Like, the mom was so good. As you said in our last episode, it's the year of weird, freaky, quasi-celebrity impersonation. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. So as far as like the overall movie, I think Get Out should win. But when it comes to the best actor, I think Franco should take that. I see. So then there was a movie I hadn't seen. Um, Gary Oldman. He's nominated for a movie for dark, called Darkest Hour. What is it? Yeah, Gary Oldman's playing Winston Churchill. And he's totally unrecognizable. Like you can't, you look at his face and not see any Oldman in it. That is, You'll me- see an old man. <laughs> but you won't see Oldman. My... The craziest Gary Oldman role ever is in Tiptoes. Have you ever seen that movie? Is that the little person movie? Yes. And he plays 
Matthew Mahanahay's twin brother. <laughs> McConaughey. Matthew Mahanahay. His twin brother, who is a, a little person. When I first heard of this movie, my friend uh, Ryder Rips was like, it's insane that Gary Oldman is playing this role. And I thought he was saying Gary Coleman. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like, why? how are they twins? Like Matthew Mahanahay and Gary Coleman are twins? And he was like, no, Gary Oldman. And I was like, Gary Oldman isn't a little person. And he was like, he's on his knees the whole movie. That's wild. It, it's ridiculous. They have all the top little people in, in, in Hollywood. And they make Gary Oldman? The star, Tiptoes is wild. Tiptoes is the wildest fucking movie. Not as wild as The Room. <laughs> so I can't even get You've past- seen some things that a woman ain't supposed to see. <laughs> no. And there's like a part where he's like going behind a table and you can see him walking on his knees. Oh, stop it. Yeah. And they have him in a motorcycle for most of it with like a, a dip. So he's sitting in the motorcycle. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. Uh, for best actress in a music or comedy- I only saw two of the of the movies, I, Tanya and Lady Bird. And I'm going to go with Margaret Robbie on that. Okay. So she's my horse. Margaret Robbie. Okay. Yeah. It, she's hard to beat. She really did a bang up job. But I, th- I would go with Saoirse Ronan. Mm. What movie was? Oh, is that? She's the, Lady Bird. She's Lady Bird. Oh, yeah. That's the Camillo says I look like that lady. I look like the Lady Bird. I see it in the nose. Uh, yeah, maybe. You maybe could, she's playing me in the movie Saoirse of Bust Rodin Magazine. can play though. you in the movie of Bust Magazine. Exactly. <laughs> and you know who's playing me? Either. Oh, yeah, I yeah. used to always say Ricky Lake. Right. But as of late, I've decided that Gabourey Sidibe can play me in the movie I would of love Bust. that. This is going to be a great movie. It'll be better than Tiptoes. Yeah. Um, the thing that that's really got me on my toes on is, your tiptoes. On my tiptoes is the um, made for TV or the um, series, the short series one, because it was Jessica Lange, Susan Sarandon, Nicole Kidman, and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. How can one choose? I'm going with Nicole Kidman because people like an abuse story. Yeah. You already know. You but, already know. But that is also, yeah, totally people playing. If other I fantasies. were the only judge, I would give it to Jessica Lange. That's a tough one. And I bet for feud. I wonder if they're all secretly feuding right now. I it's hope not. So I hope I they're hope all not. friends. I would hope so. They seem like they would all or hang at out least together. cordial. <laughs> um, for actor, I'm going Robert De Niro for uh, the Bernie Mat- Madoff movie. Oh, I never for saw Wizard it. of Lies. He is so good in that. It, that he's amazing in that. Um, other things I've been watching, James Franco at it again. He's in fucking everything. How does he, does he even have time to sleep? What's happening? Yeah, I don't know how he's pulling this off. This was, actually came out last year and I'm just watching it now. It's on Hulu, 11 And he's traveling back in time through a closet in some guy's house to try to stop the Kennedy assassination. Is this Stephen King? It is Stephen King. Right. It is so good. Awesome. It's one of those things that's like the butterfly effect kind of thing. Is it on Netflix? Hulu. Hulu. Got and it. it has a lot of really good twists and turns. I was I was like, oh, uh, I don't really know about some time travel bullshit. But it really got me. I was stuck. Um, oh, and then I saw Patty Cakes. You did? And? Have you seen it yet? No, I still haven't seen it. Oh, she, that actress is amazing. 
Her name is Danielle McDonald. And apparently she had never rapped before. Also, she's from Australia. And she... And she came out sounding like New Jersey? Like a New Jersey rapper. And she crushes it. It's the Ritz Cracker. A go hunt swagger. It's Viagra. A rose stone through Jersey like Jagger in a Jaguar. He's for the posse. The beer for the bells. And Jay got the letters of the state. And then there's like this creepy friend that makes uh, the beats. And Bridget for Everett's in that too, right? Oh my God. Who I love she so much. She slays. She's amazing in it. It, it. That movie is so good. But there's this guy that's like this creepy goth dude that like, you know, like the, the lone lives in his weird cabin and makes beats guy. The guy's name is Mamudo Art- Arthi. And I feel like he's going to be coming up a lot. Like he did such a good solemn but lovable goth okay um then oh yeah so oh oh, yeah about the disaster artist how sad did you feel for tommy at the end like the whole story is about how he thinks he's making this masterpiece and then it turns out that it you know everybody takes it as a joke and so he rolls with it because he still wants it to be a success but i got i was so sad for him because i was like everybody's laughing at you and you know it but you're still going and rolling with it. I did feel a twinge of sadness because I am not made of stone. However, <laughs> I feel like the overarching theme, more than he thought he was making a, gen- a genius work of art and everybody was laughing at him, was if you are a white man with lots and lots of money, you can do whatever the fuck you want and somehow it'll all work out even if you don't know like your ass from the hole in the ground. Like, you're going to end up being, like, an accidental success anyway because you're a white man with enough money. To buy a billboard with your face on it. Buy a billboard with your face on it to buy, like, a a run at a movie theater, to buy, like, all of your equipment, to, like, just go ahead and follow your dreams because you're a white man with a big pile of money. And I love that he doesn't say where he gets the money. When when I was interviewing him, he said leather jackets he sold leather jackets to japan but when i was in uh hanging out with oh hi mark because i made him be my greg sestero i made him be my friend in real life and he told me that um that he had a a jean warehouse and that's where you'd met him for the first time mysterious very mysterious he's a vampire that all vampires have a lot of money. Have you noticed that? Yeah, there's all yeah. Vampires are always witch, except in what's that horror movie, Let the Right One In. Right, yeah, that's one of the only not super rich vampires. That's weird. I it's never... because it's a girl. Oh, maybe it's because you're alive forever. You have time to figure out how to make some bank. Yeah, but not if you're a kid vampire. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you never die. You're still a kid. You can still hustle. Like yeah, I just. But it's harder for kids to get a job. I just read about that kid that was making. Made a couple million dollars, like in the double digits millions this year. He was six because he has a toy review YouTube channel. Come on. I shit you not. I read that today and I almost shat myself. That makes me feel bad about my bank account. One beautiful piece of random news I'd read is that Jennifer Lawrence said that the best advice that she ever got was something Oprah muttered under her breath. (laughs) And what was that? You have to teach people how to respect you. Mm. Bam! Oprah always preaching, even dropping when, truth. Bombs. Even when she's just like muttering past people, she's like, mm, "I'm Oprah, and I'm always gonna tell it." I love her. Know this: that if you love Oprah and you miss seeing her face giving wisdom, that you need to befriend someone who subscribes to Weight Watchers online. And Oprah makes videos every Thursday 
for Weight Watchers subscribers because you know how she like bought like a giant steak in the I Weight Watchers bread. company. I love bread, but she doesn't <laughs> only talk about loving bread. Like she talks about all kinds of like living your best life and like honoring your spirit and all that Oprah stuff that you want to hear her talk about. You have to have the login. So if you, you know, like it's the same as like borrowing someone's Netflix password. Wait, you there's see like Oprah a Weight Watchers Thursdays. video channel yeah. that you need to log in. Mm-hmm. This is mind blowing to me. So borrow someone's Weight Watchers login like you would borrow someone's Netflix login if you want to watch videos from Oprah on Thursdays telling you how to live your best life. Oh my gosh. Good, good tidbit of knowledge. Her, she wears really cool glasses too. Oh, all right. Here's, here's something. A weirdo I ran into last night. This was on Netflix. It's called Cast a Deadly Spell. Have you ever heard this? Yes. It was insane. It's from 1991. Comedy horror detective film. And the film poster, I looked it up later, said, imagine who framed Roger Rabbit with witches and zombies instead of tunes. (laughs) It was ridiculous. And it has, like... uh, the character's name is H. Philip Lovecraft. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it's got a baby Julian Moore in it. Her fashion is impeccable. I want to do a fashion story based on her looks in this film. But I feel like it, it's it was so weird. Like, the there were these gremlins all the time in it that unexplicably were fucking with this engine in a car. And then there was, like, a flying gargoyle. And I feel like they just like who maybe the production company also had gremlins and did the movie and didn't know what to do with those things after they made those robotronic puppet things. So then they just repurposed them to be in this movie. Uh huh. And it seemed like the gargoyle was one of the things that was from um, Ghostbusters. You know, and, uh, uh, is it the second one or the first one? I think it's the second one. But I feel like they were just like, hey, we've got all these extra weird special effects things. Let's make a dumb movie around <laughs> it. It was so random. Oh, and then there was like a weird, there was these, all these black workers who were turned into zombies and they were just like mindlessly doing whatever the the evil guy wanted him to do in the back, like just building all these things. That sounds culturally insensitive. And I think, I wonder if um, Peel had seen it because it reminded me a lot of the creepiness of Get Out. Oh. And then there was like a scene with a random record player and I was like, did the guy from Jeepers Creepers watch this movie too? Because this totally is like at the beginning of Jeepers Creepers when they have the record player. Have you ever seen Jeepers Creepers? No. You don't need to. It is a horrible, (laughs) horrible horror movie. But this, there's, it looked like totally the same scene from Jeepers Creepers. Mm. I feel like a lot of people got inspired by this. And for some reason, I had written a note to myself that said some Mormons with a secret basement where he opens his mail. And I don't know what I was talking about there. (laughs) Maybe you actually know some Mormons with a secret basement. (laughs) Maybe. Or maybe like I started to write something else and skipped it. But I'm like, did did that Speaking of Mormons, can I tell you something exciting? Yes. (laughs) My friend... Ian Allen, who is a writer, director, producer. Um, This had to have been like, I want to say 13 years ago, 12 years ago. Um, He made this silent exploitation movie called Trapped by the Mormons, which is based on another black and white Mormon exploitation movie that he remade. 
and um, it was really cool. It's about like vampire, more scary vampire Mormons. Were they rich? A silence film. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of rich. And um, he very graciously gave me a cameo in the film. So I'm in it as boss lady. And anyway, so this movie came out like 13 years ago. And then this past week, the New Yorker, because of the disaster artist, put out a list of um, movies bad movies that are so bad that they're good that you should be streaming and trapped by the mormons was one of them oh! the one that i was in and you can stream in a vimeo if you want i want to stream and see a baby rims <laughs> i mean i wasn't a baby it was just 12 years ago but yeah like uh if you want to see me be boss lady but also if you just want to see a really good black and white exploitation horror movie check it out <laughs> trapped by the mormons on vimeo i'm there for that well that's what i've been watching excellent I will tell you some more then about what I've been Lay watching. Lay it on me. Um, as you know, I have a luscious research assistant. I was, thought you were going to say a luscious reach around. And I was like, I'm going to give my luscious <laughs> research assistant a luscious reach around because yeah. he's so good at assisting me with research. Anyway, <laughs> Logan is good at finding creepy weird shit on Amazon. And the offerings since the last time I spoke to you are... Numero uno, a show called Antiques Ghost Show. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen Antiques Ghost Show? No. Obviously, it's a ghosty riff on Antiques Roadshow. And it is ridiculous. It's from 2003. And it stars. Can I guess what happens? Yeah, guess. And I'll tell you if you're right. I think that people bring their antique in and then they have a medium tell you what ghost is haunting it. Pretty much. (laughs) Okay. There's this dude. He's a psychic. His name is Derek Akora. That's like some British stuff. And so like they meet in like a big like British manor house and someone will bring their antique item and Derek touches it, rubs on it, feels on it. And then he not only tells you like the history of the object, but he actually channels the former owner of it and like will go into a psychic trance and act out like he'll channel the person and then it's like that person's talking to you oh my god and it's crazy so he'll do like a, a wild pantomime where he's like jumping around uh acting out the person who owned the item but also in attendance like antiques roadshow will be like an appraiser And then there's also like a genealogist. So after he tells the owner, these are all the things about your item, then the genealogist and the appraiser go out to see if Derek is right. And then surprise, Derek is right because it's like, yeah, whatever. It's he's never wrong. (laughs) Well, I mean, they fill in the gaps because, you know, he does like a wild sort of like little play. Oh, my God. This sounds ridiculous. (laughs) And then they all sit around and they're like, Derek was right because blah, blah, blah. And he nods his head and everyone's like, ooh, Derek. But um, (laughs) I really like Derek's little acting out of the pretending, channeling the person, the dead person whose item it was. But Logan did not like it. (laughs) Does he change his voice? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's weird. So that's Antiques Ghost Show. If you want your PBS type viewing to just get a little cray, not too cray, just, a but just cray. cray enough. And then another show in the same vein that's on Amazon 
This one is from 2006. It's called Myths, Magic, and Monsters. And it stars anthropologist Lawrence Blair, who's like this wild, like academic with an eye patch and Sold. crazy hair. <laughs> who and the the show is weird because it seems like you're watching a nature special, but then it like switches over to Southeast Asian people doing like very bizarre things, and somehow he like mushes them together because he's an anthropologist. So like. I think the gist of the show is that they're trying to say that they're rare and mysterious creatures and like there's modern stories of dragons and unicorns and mermaids and like these stories have origins in like real things that may have existed in places like Southeast Asia that don't exist anymore. And so there's like a little bit of cryptozoology in there, but he's really like, he'll talk about, cute little like primates like gibbons and orangutans and like little tarsiers who are like oh, I love the tarsier with, with like these giant eyes and stuff and then he'll segue sort of inelegantly into like southeast asian dudes like shoving needles through their faces and like putting red hot pokers on their tongues and like doing all these like carny tricks of you know, like little kids who are in carny families, like laying on beds of broken glass and all this stuff, how they have like this mind over body yeah. magic and then, you know, psychic surgery and Southeast Asian guys who can like put their hand over a bunch of paper and make it burst into flames. And then there is this guy who could like touch you and you could feel electricity jolt through his fingers. And then his like, his psychic chi master who is dead came to him in a dream and told him not to show off. And so he wouldn't come on camera anymore. It's like very loosey goosey back and forth between like, here are some cool animals in Southeast Asia and here's some people from Southeast Asia doing wild carny tricks. This sounds insane. Yeah. It's really all over the place, but I actually recommend it. I recommend it more than antiques ghost show. It's called myths, magic and monsters anthropologist Lawrence Blair has an eye patch and at one point a monkey pulls his eye patch oh off and God. you get to see his horribly disfigured eye socket. So you have that to look forward to. Yeah. I saw The Shape of Water. Uh-huh. Guillermo del Toro's beautiful fantasia of girl meets fish man. The girl. fish man with the hot butt. The fish man with the hot butt indeed has a hot butt. You... I, I feel like I heard that that was very important. Well, it's important <laughs> because it's kind of like when they get it on, which is sort of like, do you... would you want to get it on with that fish man? Like, he looks kind of like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Right. He looks so much like the creature of the back, Black Lagoon. But by with, the time the they butt. get it on, which is not a spoiler, like the poster is them getting it on. Right. Like, you're like, oh, I, I could see that. It's got a lot of magical realism. It's very, very beautiful. I would say that it is the best Guillermo del Toro movie since Pan's Labyrinth. It is absolutely magical oh. and beautiful in every way. It looks absolutely ridiculous to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it depends if you like magical realism. You know, it's not a horror movie, but it is a suspense movie. And it is about... Is the fish man, like, funny? Is he witty? No, he doesn't speak. So she's just in it for the hot butt. 
you know, they, the Sally Hawkins, who plays the female lead, plays a woman who cannot speak. Okay, and this so makes a little bit more this, sense. You know, nonverbal, intense communication. Hmm. That usually involves uh, exchanging hard-boiled eggs. Whoa! And all enjoying right. them at lunchtime. But <laughs> okay. it is. It is really. You're just gonna have to take my word for it. That is very beautiful. It's very stylized. It looks pretty, but it also looks absurd. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around if it was a a fish lady. What I mean, I feel like there's so many mermaids. Like everyone knows that, like guys think mermaids are hot or whatever. But yeah, but like, you can't have sex with a mermaid. There's no vagina unless there's like a trap door in the fin. Well, there's a trap door with this dude. So why wouldn't there be a? Trap there's a trap door? door for the dude. Yep. But he has a butt. Why wouldn't he just also have a dick? I'm telling you, he doesn't have one until he does have one. You don't really see it, but she explains it. That's ridiculous. She explains it with hand gestures because she doesn't speak. If he, he doesn't wear pants, right? He is nude. He's a nude fish dude. So he just sucks the dick up to be appropriate? The way I, I don't know about all You know, things. it's like a Ken crotch. Yeah. Okay. But then something happens. But she she explains it with her hands. Oh, all right. <laughs> I just made a hand gesture at Callie. Yeah. If, if you want to know what hand gesture I made, you <laughs> have to see the movie. <laughs> but just don't you worry about it. The fish, the nude fish dude whose penis you can't see in just like him walking around, it it can appear and it can do its job. Hmm. And it all digmatizes right. Sally Hawkins. That's all you need to know. But also you should see it because it's very, very beautiful. And it makes you think about love. And butts. Love and butts and fish. <laughs> All of that. Um, I've been feeling stress around our presidency, around this Me Too moment where horrific tales of assault and abuse are coming at me all the time. And I have been taking a break from all of that in the evenings by watching... Great British Bake Off. I thought you were going to just say Dark Shadows. I have been watching Dark Shadows, but that goes without saying. My cat, Velma, also watches Dark Shadows, and she's getting into it. But specifically to decompress from stories of sexual assault, I've been watching the Great British Bake Off. Um, I'm on season two. There's four seasons on Netflix right now, and I just finished season two. Um, There's these two awesome... British female comedian hosts Mel and Sue and then the um the judges are Paul and Mary and they say things like no soggy bottoms <laughs> talking about like you don't want your pie crust to be all soggy on the bottom and when something's good Mary says it's scrummy and there's no like Gordon Ramsay screaming and everyone's real nice to each other and the cakes are so pretty and cute and nice and it just lulls me into yeah, I haven't seen it, but everybody talks about just like how nice all the contestants are to each other. But they're nice and they're very creative and talented. And it's just a nice place to Soothes be. you. Especially when this country and everyone in it just feel not everyone in it, but like when this country feels like it is on fire. Yeah. Both literally in California and oh figuratively in Washington, D.C., uh, like going across the pond and watching British people bake things. Is where it's at. I can Trust see me. that be soothing for sure. 
And then finally, I saw a documentary on Netflix called Voyeur. Did you see it? No. So this documentary is all about the writing of journalist Gay Talese's 2016 book, The Voyeur's Motel. And he worked on this for literally 30 years. Whoop. Um, this voyeur reached out to him 30 years ago who said, I own this Colorado motel. And I made a special viewing platform in the attic above all of the motel rooms. And I put little like vents where I could peek into people's motel rooms because I'm a voyeur. And I also spent... a creepy asshole. <laughs> and I spent decades spying on my guests from the attic. And I want to tell you all about it. So, I mean, it does sound very entertaining, but also creepy asshole exactly he's a creepy asshole and what i found more surprising than the fact that he's a creepy asshole which well that's not surprising anymore the thing that i found surprising is that this creepy asshole married not once but twice and both wives knew what he was up to and kept his secret for him like you would think that at least one wife or girlfriend or someone would be like "Ah, yeah dropping a dime on you but no that he had two wives and they both you like can one after another, not simultaneously. And they kept his secret for him. And then things get kind of crazy when the book finally comes out and people start questioning some of the validity of what the, cause this is one of the, the dangers is gay to who is this very famous, hard hitting journalist. He has one source, right? And the one source is this guy. And so then when inconsistencies in the story come up, it like really throws gay for a loop. So that's. I think I'm going to check this out. Yeah. I mean, it's creepy. Yeah. But it's fascinating. And it's also, you know, the whole idea is that we're watching the voyeur. Yeah. All the time. So this guy who spent his whole life spying on people, like we're spying on him as the audience. And so. But he knows. So that's. He does know, which is not just a luxury the... that he gave to the people that he spied on yeah. for all those many years. But yeah, it's a good documentary. Voyeur, Netflix, go get it. And that is what I have been watching. Well, lovely. I loved this episode. I loved talking to Alex Dean. The movie is beautiful. Definitely go see Bombshell. And uh, I would like to take this opportunity to thank our producer, Rachel Withers. Thank you. The greatest producer. <laughs> well, you really went for it that time. I did. I took it like more mellow because the last time it was a little screamy. Um, I would like to thank our producer, Rachel Withers. I would like to thank our pal at the listening booth, Terrence Mickey, and of course, our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Emily Rams. You can email us both. I'm at emilyrams at bus.com. And you can also reach out to Callie. Callie W at bus.com. Someone sent us fan mail for yeah! the very first time since. Touched uh, my heart. It touched my heart. It made me feel all the feels. We loved getting that fan mail so much. It's going to appear in the next issue of Bust Magazine. So if you want to be similarly famous, hit us up. We'd love <laughs> to hear your email. Hear it, read it, see it, get it. We want it. <laughs> to find out more about Bust, visit us at bust.com. And finally, please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. You don't want to be about this 
creepy dude, Gerald Foos. You don't want to be like Gerald Foos, who's the voyeur from Voyeur, who is just watching people from his little perch above them and not letting anybody know that he was there. Let us know that you're there. You can let us know that you're there by rating us and reviewing us on iTunes, and then you won't be a creepy oral voyeur. You will be a participator in this great medium known as podcasting. But in any case, please rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out, and we super duper appreciate it. Until next time, mwah!